This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 466 for July 22nd, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Zoom and by Red Hat. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, everyone. I am senior contributor Glenn Fleischman, who you may know from Twitter, where I tweet incessantly. Please don't follow me on Twitter. I'm not even going to give out my handle. That's how much I tweet. But you can find me there. And joining me, as always, is Macworld's executive editor, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. You sound uh, well this I morning. feel so much better. <laughs> I don't know. That's fantastic. It's yeah. been, I feel like p- uh, people can judge your health by just scrolling back through previous <laughs> Macworld podcasts. How Susie's misery week? index today is a oh, four. It's, oh, that's good. Four <laughs> on a scale of... I was watching that's an Amy pretty Sh- baseline miserable. Like, a four is great. <laughs> I was watching an Amy uh, Schumer sketch where John Hamm was uh, subbing in for uh, Bill Hader. It was a little parody about the new movie they, they're in. And, uh, he's, and she said, I think we're both ten. Or he said, I think we're both tens. And she said, or no, I'm sorry. She said, I think we're both tens. And he said, what's that scale? And she said, well, the scale is 30. <laughs> He's very good looking. You can find that. The internet was made for Amy Schumer sketches, uh, I think. Um, yeah. Yes, he is very good looking. She's and Bill Hader wanders in and says, hey, uh, John, what's going on? Uh, but this is not a show about Amy Schumer, sadly. This is not a show of Amy we Schumer. We should do a spinoff. Maybe next <laughs> next episode, we'll just do the Amy Schumer one. I got to cram before that. My wife and I have taken, like, instead of watching television or Netflix or the rest, we just, like, pull up YouTube and we watch, yeah. uh, you know, John Oliver, we watch Amy Schumer, uh, pull up some old things. There's a show from Australia, only has a few episodes, called uh, The Catering Show, which is uh, two women comedians doing this hilarious bit about cooking. One is completely food intolerant. She can't eat, like, most major kinds of food, or she gets very... Very ill, and it is very funny. Uh, so that's I watch how... a lot of YouTube with my son, and it's it's amazing. There's so much great stuff on there. So one, some of our favorite stuff to watch is we'll find Domino's video videos where they set up like ridiculous Domino's things yes. and knock them over. There are like professional Domino's people out there. There's a whole thing going on. I had no idea. But the, some of the stuff they do is insane. And then there's some like ones that are just all bike tricks and <laughs> what else? Um, he loves OK Go videos. This is a um, friend of mine. She didn't. Her dad was totally disinterested in the iPad that she and her sisters had gotten for him until I think they showed him how to use YouTube. And like he, all he does is watch 1960s, uh, like not NASCAR, but uh, like Indy 500 races or old races. Yeah. There's like an infinite supply of that. It's funny, though. I mean, that's the changing attitude towards television is like it's not even just on demand. I can't, it's not like I can get any sitcom I want on demand or pay for it or download it. It's like, no, I'm just going to YouTube and finding. Uh, so does your son watch Daniel Tiger? Yes, a little bit. Okay, because I understand that is a very good show, but that's on yeah. Netflix. one season of it's on. That's Netflix, on. Ev- that's everywhere. Yeah. So just, yeah, he watches a lot of Netflix, way too much. Um, we just got into this new app called Play Kids. That's basically the same. Like, there's a small selection of shows, but then it has some storybooks and some little games and stuff with it too. Um, he was playing a game where it was like it was simulating picking up your toys, like he was picking up <laughs> toys and dragging them into this little <laughs> toy box. And I was like, for real life. Oh I my posted a tweet that was oh the the, the yard work simulator from that episode of The Simpsons. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. He was doing the yard work trench, simulator. I was trench like, and we insight. have rocks that need cleaning at Wasn't home. Trench and Insight? No, that's the uh, My Dinner with Andre video game that uh, Martin's <laughs> Tell playing. me more. Trench and Insight. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, yeah, I would totally play the crap out of that video game. Someone please make are, it for uh, iOS, please. Eight and ten. And so they play, uh, at times they had a huge Minecraft uh, obsession, and now they're playing like Dragon Vale again on Touches and uh, some kind of cab, taxi cab thing that changes cities every few weeks. It's... Uh, it's just interesting. I mean, you know, at their age, I had like an, uh, like something with like five LEDs in it that was called football, I think. And yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, I think it literally had like 16 LEDs or something. You'd be like, this is incredibly fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I got the first Game Boy. I had to save up for it. It was like $100. Oh, my gosh. Five, 5% tax. It was $104.99 or something. I had a calculator watch that I had, a Casio calculator watch. I was so proud. I went to college with it. I was that proud of it. But uh Times have changed. Times have changed, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about in this episode. Uh, so this week we've got a few different things to talk about. Uh, besides, believe changing it or not, that was of- not on the topic list. No, oh, that's that right. Was. Well, it's uh, it's uh, changing entertainment. We're still waiting. You know why we're talking about it? We're waiting for Apple to unleash uh, the deal that's been long delayed. For we want a new Apple TV. Uh, Apple snuck in iPod Touches and new iPods. 
while we weren't looking, like, hey, look over there. Hey, iPods. We're like, wait, what? Yeah. There was the rumor that the iPods were going to come out. And then I like between the rumor and the announcement, I kind of forgot all about it. Oh, yeah. And they came out and I'm like, oh, yeah. It makes sense. Like there's nothing like there's nothing very, uh, you know, outstanding about them. But apparently they sell well enough. It was worth refreshing. Now, you know, it's John Gruber on uh, during Fireball noted that the reason the Nano interface looks so ridiculous, like iOS six, like, is that apparently there's nobody left on the interface <laughs> team. Like that's the rumor you heard. I, I believe they could that. get an intern or something. They could hire like two kids for the summer. And have yeah, they're like you know they're clearly they that. put all their money in the interface years ago and they're like we're sticking with it. We're going yeah. with that. But iPod Touch, the new one, it's got uh, it has different styling, right? I haven't had one in my hands because they're not at. I got one. Story. Yeah, so it's different styling and a sixth generation now is up to date, which makes sense because there's still I think there's still a subset market and I think people have estimated that it might be. What was it like five percent or ten percent? Like five percent of the iPhone market is for iPod touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were still clearly selling them along, and it's only like a millions a year. But I think the production line issues are so low, and the margin on those things is so high. I think they probably make yeah. you know Apple's average margin is still in the thirties. I think, and they probably make forty. 45% on the iPod Touch. Like, we're minting money on this. Let's just come out with a new modern version. Then we have something in the Matrix for people who don't want an iPad mini because it's too big or it doesn't meet their needs. They don't want an iPhone because they don't want the cellular part or the recurring thing. They want an inexpensive thing that's like an iPhone that their kids can use or they can use for internet phone calls or whatever. iPhones are so expensive compared yeah. to the iPod Touch. And it's a very nice machine. Like, it doesn't feel like it's for kids. It doesn't feel dumbed down. It's just reliant on Wi-Fi. I mean, if you li- if you are on Wi-Fi all the time, you could get away with it. It's it's put really Skype nice. On the th- put Skype on the thing, and uh, you're good. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can, and there's Google so Voice, much Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah there's, there's ways Voices. around it. Yeah, and you can make. Uh, you know, I use Skype sometimes when I'm traveling, even when I have a phone connection. If I have a bad phone connection, a strong Wi-Fi one, uh, I don't have. Uh, I'm on AT and T, so it won't do Wi-Fi calling, so I don't get a boost. There, uh, so I will just use Skype out or whatever they call yeah, it these days. FaceTime, yeah, exactly. All these alternatives. So it's I, a good yeah. gateway device. I mean, Apple's doing family sharing and um, you know the Apple Music family plan and iCloud photo library and all this stuff. So if you want to, I mean, I'm sure Apple would love for everyone in your house to have their own iOS device, and um, the iPod okay. Touch is a nice one just for for being cheap and. Here's um, a weird thing. Tough. Oh, I have a weird idea, and I don't think Apple will do it. But there's actually a market. So you know that. Uh, so as cellular networks have evolved from, they were one G was analog, two G was early slow digital. It's like you know equivalent of 9600 bits mm-hmm. per second. Then you have 2.5 G. Wait, GPRS is part of that. It's like multiple channels. Then 2.5 G is edge, where you get a few hundred kilobits per second. And then it was oh 3 G and 4 G and, and LTE and then beyond, right? There's a very interesting phenomenon, which is that billions of devices worldwide use GPRS, which is 2G technology, Mm -hmm. because all the phone networks have to continue to support it forever because of the way the technology is developed. It'll probably never be retired, like maybe in 15 years or 20 years. It's super cheap to send data over GPRS. So any device you have that um, communicates cellularly that doesn't need to send a lot of data, these like this uh, uh, meters on your house and um, sometimes car devices that will send uh, uh, logistics or uh, telematic, uh, what do you call it, telematics back, I think it's called. Yeah, um, those smart parking meters. Yeah, all those things. Yeah, so that's why yeah. it takes so long. By the way, this is why it takes so long. You swipe your card and you're like, why is it, it looks like it's dialing up. Why is it taking so long to authorize? <laughs> it actually has to create a GPRS connection, which is not uh, continuous and it's slow. So it actually, even though it's sending a tiny amount of information, it take, and, uh, t- uh, terminals that are uh, cellular uh, uh, credit card terminals. So anyway, I had this idea. I'm like, why don't they make an iPod Touch with what, I, what we want for our kids? We don't want them to have internet access everywhere, but we would like them to be able to have a device when they're out of the house, when they're more independent, that is not a phone, but would let them make or, or could make a limited number of phone calls and send uh, positioning information and let them, uh, you know, send text, but it wouldn't do anything else. Like it wouldn't actually really let you browse the web. It would be too slow, or Genius. it would be locked out. And I'm like, and like you could put that in a GPRS radio. It costs like fifty cents. So Apple could sell the GP, you know, the the lo-fi iPod Touch with a five dollar a month plan. Uh, or like the Kindle and just kind of bundle it in because if their margins are so big it wouldn't really affect their bottom line and they would sell a lot more so it might make it up right because you're only sending that you know people can only spend like two megabytes a year if they work at it so Mm -hmm. anyway I feel like there's a market for a thing that's a cell phone a thing that's 
that's iPhone-like. And I mean, we don't want to get outside of the iOS ecosystem because we're bought into it now. And we, we yeah. like being in it. We'd rather have AT&T, you know, get something from AT&T because we're at a level now where their plan is actually pretty reasonable. It'll probably drop more in the coming years. But, um, you know, we And as they market value. it, they seem to like uh, highlight features that would appeal to younger kids. Like, either, oh, it's got better selfies and you can, we made the camera better and it's really good at gaming and they gave it the A8 chip so it'll play all the best games and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you get the kids in, you get them kind of locked into the ecosystem. They start buying apps. They start, you know, signing up for accounts and stuff. And it's not like it's that hard to move from iPhone to Android. But if your parents are paying your bill, they're happy on Apple. Like, you're just going to keep getting Apple. So it's, it's, it's a really good gateway device. But I've, I've been playing with it. I got one on um, Friday. So I was playing with it all weekend. And it's really fun. Um, I, I, it's been interesting. Usually the new iPhones come out and then the iPod Touch catches up. Like that was the pattern for many years. Um, so this time the iPod Touch is catching up with last year's iPhone yes. before next year's iPhone comes out. So it's almost like, is this a little clue? They kept the screen size at the four-inch size that we've had with the iPhone 5. Um, it's it's the same size as that one. and. So I've been using my iPhone 6, obviously, since that one came out. So it was kind of like, I you know, was like, oh, this is going to feel like a Barbie phone or whatever. It's going to be all small. But it's so thin and light and delicate that the screen size seems really nice. And it made me wonder, like, maybe the iPhone, you know, the cheap iPhone this year will be kind of like this iPod Touch, but a phone. So if they did the, you know, the, the light version, like a Kindle that just had a little bit of connectivity for find my iPhone, for... Um, you know, maybe calling a couple of pre-approved numbers or dialing nine one one or something. Exactly, yeah, emergency. Um, but just for, I mean, doesn't you don't need you don't need four G LTE yeah. to do really basic things. And if and the GPRS infrastructure is so well uh, developed, I think it's like a little secret. I've thought about writing about it for somebody at some point, because it's like it's both <laughs> interesting and boring at the same time. It's like, oh, really? Every Coke machine has that's fascinating. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, but it, but it's also it's a, it's the hidden the Internet of Things runs on G, that has cellular connections largely runs in GPRS. In fact, uh, Car2Go just sent out this weird announcement a few weeks ago. They sent a lot of strange announcements. And uh, th they said, oh, we're, we're improving our network to 3G. And I was like, what are you talking about? I realized all of their cars had GPRS, which is a pain because you go up to the car, you tap, and it does that thing. It's like contacting network, acquiring – I mean, it doesn't say it that way, but it takes like – 30 seconds or 45 seconds for it to do a cellular connection because it's transactional with GPRS instead of um, continuous the way 3G works, even if you're not on. 3G is just a, it's almost, um, it's not a seamless, but it's a much faster data connection. So they're saying, we're up to 3G, so your check-in, check-out thing will be much faster because you can wait, you know, they're charging you by the minute. And I forget exactly where they cut it off. Like the minute you tap out, I think until they log you out of that car, you're still paying. So actually them being faster could save you Oh, I don't know, you know, like 50 cents or a buck or something, depending <laughs> on how efficient you are about tapping in and out. But, uh, yeah, you know, every time I use my uh, the, my wife's iPhone, which she has an iPhone 5, uh, it, it's weird. I've got an iPhone 6, just the regular 6, and I pick up her phone, and I'm like, I can't believe I use this thing. It looks to me like a child's toy. Like, like I can't even see the text on the screen. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous, my it's reaction It's kind of nice, it. too. Like, I started using it, and I'm like, wow, oh, yeah. I can reach everything with my thumb. It's so tiny. I keep losing it, like, in my pocket. <laughs> um, you could lose it between two sheets of paper. It's so little. Um, so that, yeah, I don't know. So I, it would be really interesting to see. So if they did this, this like smart iPod touch with a little connectivity, they'd have to really cripple it to make it not, you know, a great phone substitute for people who really need a phone and just want to, want to cheap could, up. It could but, be prepaid only. I mean, they yeah. could do a whole thing like prepaid only. You'd be paying per phone call. They could create, I mean, they have their own SIM thing, right? They have the Apple SIM. They could have the Apple SIM oh, in it. good call. So, you know, there's all these things they could do. Now, I don't think they will, but I feel like, road, I feel like there's really a market crazy. for it. Yeah, yeah, I just feel like it's a market. It's a, the, the, the big cost of having, you know, 3G or 4G is no longer the chips. They're not cheap. I shouldn't say that. But the integration is no longer as expensive as the uh, as the, the network cost. So mm -hmm. that's, I know, it's a funny thing. Well, hey, before we move on to our next topic, let's, uh, let's take a break because we should thank one of our sponsors this week, Zoom. Now, according to 100% of Zoom's marketing team, Zoom is the number one video conferencing service of all time, period. Uh, Zoom combines video, screen sharing, and group messaging into one platform that runs across any device you can think of. That includes Mac, PC, iOS, Android, and all the stuff you're already using in your conference room. Now, I 
uh, am, for better or worse, I work uh, on my own with a lot of people all over the place. I don't have to teleconference, but I work with so many people who routinely are in publications and companies where they're spread out all over the place. And they tell me that teleconferencing and web conferencing is a pain. You know, they have problems it joining is. the meeting. You guys do this all the time, right? Because you're spread Meetings out. Meetings always start like 12 minutes late and the first, you know, 10 minutes we're all just sitting around going, can you hear us? Can you I can see you, but I can't hear you. It's Yeah, the ridiculous. video's choppy. You have device limitations. The audio can be bad. Now, I happen and to know. And we're nerds. I, like, it shouldn't be this hard. I don't want to name the organization. And I wasn't on this call, but I happen to know a group that I work with recently had 40-plus people on a Zoom session, and everyone was happy oh, with that ball. connection. So that's pretty slick. Uh, so this is the thing. It has a simple interface. It's fast. It uses HD video. It supports desktop and mobile screen sharing and cross-platform messaging. So here's the thing. If you are collaborating specifically on game or app development, being able to share the screen of your iOS device in a Zoom meeting is superbly useful. So think about that if you're working on the development side. So here's the thing. You can get a free Zoom account today. There are no strings attached, no trials. It's really a free account by going to zoom.us slash Macworld. That's Z-O-O-M.us slash Macworld and start hosting better video meetings immediately. So thank you to Zoom for being one of our sponsors this week. I guess I should aspire in the future to uh, being in an organization where I have to be part of video conferencing. But right now, I work out. I'm a lone wolf. Lone wolf who one, joins one packs. One man wolf pack. One man wolf. I, I'm a member of many wolf packs, I guess. I'm kind of out there standing on the mountains howling at the moon. Uh, so we're going to talk also, we're going to do a little stick in the sand because the Apple Watch has been out almost three months now. Uh, and uh, Apple, in the not very distant past, started uh, said the backlog, except for the gold edition model, is now zero, right? You can get them. You just order them and they ship them out almost mm-hmm. immediately. Which yeah, is do great. you see many walking around up there? I have seen uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, mean, I've seen I mean I see one. some, but I'm you know in the bubble. <laughs> I'm well, I'm stunned. I'm in Seattle, and it's not a it's not a Microsoft or Android watch. To, I mean, there's no Microsoft watch. Well, there was there was the Spot and a couple other, but uh, I thought I would see more, and I've seen very few. I think they it's actually because the screen is off, unless someone's looking at them. I think they tend. Even though you know the shape, unless you're really looking for it, um, I don't think it shows up. It's also been deadly hot, so I don't know if people have been uh, like not wearing anything on their wrist because it's so hot you don't want a piece of metal on your wrist. Um, I'll confess, I got, my, I got my watch, and I don't think I've worn it. I, I barely use the thing. I wore it a lot initially to test it out. Um, I try to put it on every day so that I could get a sense of it, track my blood pressure, see how it did with activity. And then, you know, I just started forgetting to put it on, so it's on the charger. I went on a trip to beautiful San Francisco, as we discussed a few weeks ago, during the best weather of all time. Yeah, we had history. tacos. We had tacos. It was great. And I wore my watch, and it was incredibly useful to have the watch during travel. But I don't have a commute, so if I I had a public transit commute, as you do. If I traveled frequently, as some people do, it was on planes, trains, automobiles, uh, ferries, and buses for um, you know going longer distances. It was extremely useful uh, when I was in transit, when everything sort of packed away and I got a bag on my shoulder. Um, but I just I haven't gotten to the habit, so I'm going to be curious. You know, is there going to be a compelling case for me when version two of the OS comes out? So. Uh, that's kind of where we're uh, – you've got a story coming up about um, – we're going to celebrate the anniversary, the three-month anniversary, <laughs> have the staff talk about, uh, about the, what they the, think. The quarterversary is coming up. So, yeah, we're just doing a little – since this was – it was kind of a tough product to review because it was so different and, you know, it was the first generation and everything and a new category. So we said, hey, we're going to, you know, um, we're going to borrow a page from our friends at iMore and kind of revisit it every every once in a while. So – Three months is coming up, so on Friday we're posting. I'm kind of, you know, re-updating my review a little bit, and all the staff is going to give their impressions. Um, But there was a story this week um, by Brian Chen in the New York Times talking about how um, he thinks there's almost like a standoff with the the developers don't know how much these are selling, so they don't want to invest a lot in porting all of their apps over. So there's some some holes, I guess. Like he mentioned, I think, Facebook and Tumblr as some of them. Um, and he's saying, well, if they don't know, you know, if a lot of people are buying these things and, and maybe people aren't buying them because some of the, their favorite apps aren't there. And um, Jason Snell posted it on Six Colors and wrote a thoughtful response about how he thought that that was, you know, not the right way to look at it. Um, and 
So, yeah, I, I mean, shocker, I agree with Jason. I think <laughs> what? The, yeah, I know. Weird. I think the fact that it doesn't have Ritchie Facebook or Tumblr. And John Gruber. And, and yeah, that's really not holding it back because the, the best things I do with my watch are just really fast. Like, you don't want to be using it for more than a few seconds at a time. Like, you look dumb. Your arm gets tired. It's a tiny little screen. But it's really great for the things that it does well. So I'm still wearing mine every day. Because I got really sucked into the activity tracking. Like the closing the circles has been so much more compelling for me than just trying to hit some number of steps that doesn't, you know, mean a lot. And since it's tracking calories instead of steps as its main metric, um, I started noticing. I mean, Jim, Jim Dalrymple talked about this in his review. You start noticing, like, wow burning calories is kind of hard and you know you go do a big workout oh. and it's like oh you burned like 100 yeah. calories and you're like dude that's it that's yeah, like got 12 a, pretzels i've got a desk treadmill and it does a rough it does a, i mean it's an accurate calorie count because it's uh it's not tied to my weight or metabolism and you know there's some research about people that if you're if you, once you get into the obese category mm-hmm. you wind up you can be burning calories uh half as efficiently as people who are lean yeah. So, and this was some interesting science. I'm wait, I've been watching it because it answered that question of uh, once you once you get to a certain weight, like why is it so hard to lose weight? You're putting out people can exercise for hours a day, and your body actually becomes more efficient. So you're using less. You it's the same amount of work. If you do the same activity, you bike uh, 25 miles, right? On the same bike, two different people, two different weights. The heavier person is actually need puts, puts out more energy, but your body more efficiently doesn't actually burn off. <laughs> yeah. You're like great. Your muscles are actually more efficient, which is bad in terms of uh, having lower weight. So it's fascinating when you see that. So I'll, I have an inaccurate calorie counter, um, you know, if a good one in Fitbit, I think it's much more, it's tailored uh, to, because you punch in your parameters and I've got a bad one on my treadmill thing, but you're like, wow, I just walked, you know, five miles and it says I burned, you know, 300 calories really, or 500, whatever it is. Uh, so it makes you much more aware of how much it, both like consumption and, uh, and burning off, like exactly. what you're actually doing. Yes. It's, it's always fewer calories than you think it should be. And so inspired by Jim's review, I was like, yeah, you know, I've been noticing these same things. And he said that the calorie counting on the watch um, and I've, I've used a lot of other fitness trackers and none of them besides the watch have like nudged me towards better habits just quite as well as the watch has. So noticing that, you know, burning calories was really hard, maybe re-examine how many calories I'm eating and I started using my fitness pal and tracked it and he's lost like 40 pounds so far I've lost four all right I'm just gonna be honest about this but I just got started and it's so it's going really well so I'm also reviewing the pebble time right now that'll be out probably next week um, because we're gonna do some videos and stuff but the thing with the pebble time is that I don't want to stop wearing my Apple Watch. <laughs> so, yeah, you were oh, like, you I, I don't really there need mine anymore. Yeah, so One I look like rest. a total loser wearing two of them. And it's 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 fun to, to compare, you know, the notifications. <laughs> totally so the Pebble Time awesome. is just pure <laughs> notifications. And the timeline feature is kind of cool. Apple's going to copy that in watchOS 2. But just the experience between the two of them has been very eye-opening. But I... It's it's kind of made me appreciate my Apple Watch a little more. I want to I want to put in a word here about weight too, since we're talking about weight and uh, and uh, you and I both have children, so we get concerned about like the messages that are being sent to kids. Is, is clearly there's also an emerging body of research that exercise is important regardless of what your weight right. is. There's yes. a whole bunch of other measures, and that's where I've been fascinating with the watch, particularly because the watch we are uh, the Apple Watch and and others. I think I want to say to a lesser extent because I don't think they expose the variety of information being gathered as efficiently as HealthKit does. So what we're going to see and what I'm excited to see is when you start integrating many different kinds of health measures in a ongoing, like a continuously monitored, no uh, burden way. So I put my watch on and it starts gathering vast amounts of, of information about me, you know, in a year or two or three as this improves. And it could give my doctor or my, you know, myself personally, or anyone I share with a more comprehensive view. Like how healthy mm-hmm. is Glenn? Like, is, am I doing stuff? I have a stent, so I'm really concerned about my heart health. So I do all kinds of things to stay active, but is it more critical that I 
I drop 20 pounds or if I'm walking five miles a day or, you know, biking up a hill uh, for an hour every day, like which of those are better for me? And, and customized medicine requires huge amounts of, uh, of data to be gathered. And so the, like the quantified self movement was a lot about, <clears throat> I think it remains about setting your own targets, being in control of your own health by understanding uh, what you're doing, like being able to really measure and shape what you do and then look at outcomes. But I think there's also customized medicine that's developed as a kind of specialty is you don't just take everyone and look on a chart, you know, at, at a range, say, okay, you fit in that spot in the matrix, we'll do that. You can actually look at the information for individuals and this should be exposing more of that and letting us live more healthily or at least be very aware of what what the outcomes are of choices we make, which is very hard to measure right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I got to get back to the Brian Chen piece. Um, he got a lot of uh, grief for this because he's written a series of these and it's really a narrative shaped by the New York Times um, for decades. It's a really funny thing. I, you know, we've often said like uh, in the past it was, um, you know, I think the classic one was Apple laptops burst into flame. Remember that? It was like in a lab and it's really gotten leaked that some of the, they had faulty batteries <laughs> yeah. or something. It was years in the late 90s and it was indicative of the state Apple was in in that time. That never happened, of course. In, uh, in the wild, it was in a lab situation. But um, the Times has this narrative of, uh, in, in tech in general, they both do a triumphalist thing where it's, uh, this is the best thing ever and we're about to be on the verge of a next great age. And then also the uh, product just comes out, it's a failure because, and then sort of specious reasons. And without, I don't ever, I never want to be in a position to defend a company. Apple can look after itself. But I actually, I think we are oriented towards users. And so um, users feel, uh, you know, they feel dissed because they're like, I made a product choice. And I'm being told I'm an idiot because no one else made it. Or this is a terrible product, but it works for me. And I'm the, the mainstream merit narrative is that the Apple Watch has failed. It's like, it's been out three months. They've yeah. clearly sold the millions of things. satisfaction numbers are huge. We had a story the other day that it was running like 98%. They did a survey. Um, they actually called people that had Apple Watches and did, right a, on. did a serious survey and found that like 98% of the people were really excited about them. And the it, it was funny. They found a higher rate of satisfaction in the people who weren't um, techies. So, you know, a lot of the early adopters will just be oh. like people like people like me who have to <laughs> who have to complain about it for a living. And um, they would be a little more critical, it seems, than um, just someone who bought it and then, you know, found what what it did for them and was like, OK, I love being able to to turn channels on my Apple TV from my wrist. That's that's awesome. So, yeah, once you find the little things that it does for you. Then you can just stop listening to what everyone else I, is saying about it. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of what Mike Simon wrote in his column today. He was like, this is great for me. I don't know what you guys are complaining about. Well, I've got a little thing. that too. You have the Jim Dalrymple response, which is like, you're all idiots because it's great. And I'm like, well, that's a little extreme too. It's Jim and Jim's hilarious. But, and I, I appreciate that Jim is, is um, unrestrained about it as well. But you know, I've been very critical of the watch because it doesn't – and I have lots of friends who are typically Mackies, like John Moltz, who they find the watch very useful and they don't understand the – He's, he's not as uh, adamant as Jim about it being useful, but um, I just don't. Nothing it does is an improvement for me at this point over a phone, and I have to remember to use it. It's like one more thing to charge, one more thing to wear. Yeah. But three months in, I think. I mean, I remember. Remember the early iPhone apps when people didn't get a sense of that, and we're you know we, we're not like. I feel like this has all been a, a test. It's all been this like like extended paid beta period where we have hardware that's basically terrific. Like there's a few flaws here and there you could complain about with the hardware and maybe the speed or whatever. But the hardware basically I think works as advertised um, and it's fantastic. It's a thing out of the future. So you have that on the one side. And you know, again, you can make criticisms about it, but I mean it's really – it's what it's supposed to be um, even if it's missing things that people want, right? Uh, but the software is just, it's, you know, I'm like, all right, well, this is great. I'm glad it does so much the way it is now. But the real test will be when watchOS 2 comes out and you'll see what developers have been able to do when they can take advantage of the native device and they're only tethered for data or, uh, you know, GPS or, or whatever. And then, you know, I've been saying, my claim chowder file is, I think by spring 2017, so two years after introduction, they will have a fully independent cellular-enabled GPS, Wi-Fi-enabled watch. And people in the industry have been saying, some people with chip expertise are like, eh, it's more in the three to five year time frame. I don't think Apple would have released the watch in 2015 if the time frame for them, for their knowledge of what was going on, was that it was going to be five years, you know, an 80% likelihood that in five years it was still going to be tethered. Because I don't think that fits their vision of what the watch is. They can't have 
you know, nothing is tethered in the Apple universe anymore. You can mm-hmm. tether it as you wish, but everything is a freestanding device. You know, they cut the USB cord from the iPhone years ago. And I think the same thing will happen to the watch and it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So I don't know. I mean, Apple's going to put billions and billions of dollars behind this and, uh, and developers will catch up as they figure out new things they can do with it. I think evaluating the software on the watch today, you can evaluate it in its own merits, but you can't say developers aren't supporting it because they haven't had a real thing to support yet. It's been an experiment, you know, an adjunct. And when they have the real OS, then we're going to see. Cool. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the real OS is going to change change everything. Is that terrible? We're saying real OS. I mean, it's really I, <laughs> the real one. Well, yeah. if Apple could have, you know, can, so I think we've talked about now this before. No, it's a screen. It's a second screen for your phone, and right. the, the second OS is going to make it more like a, you know, an independent device. Although it's still tethered, it's going to act. It's going to be able to do more things on its own. And that's I just think what if, people if, really want. If Apple could have released Watch OS two as Watch OS one, they would have, right? I mean, we know that. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're both like, you know, hey, all right. I mean, so in some ways, you know, I. I We've talked about this before, I know, but we don't buy into the the watch's delayed narrative. It came out when it was actually ready to ship. It didn't, they didn't announce it or whatever. It seems later than they planned, absolutely. But I think you could absolutely say that that they Watch OS two should have been Watch OS one, and they just put it out there, and they gave people time to buy one and developers time to work with it, and uh, and now we'll see what the full thing looks like. Uh, let us take a brief moment to thank our second sponsor this week, Red Hat, and then we'll get back at it. Uh, Red Hat is a company that, you know, you may have heard that they are part of this little thing that's called the Internet. Uh, they are part of the beating heart of what drives servers uh, all over the world in places that you might not even, not even suspect because uh, Red Hat is based on open source software. They were one of the first companies to turn Linux into something that was uh, maintainable and supportable. And, uh, and you know, it's open source is widely recognized as extremely useful in the right circumstances. And Red Hat has been spending now a decade settling the debate over the utility of open source and, and where it fits. And they started with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Today, this may surprise you because it surprises people who aren't looking at it on that side of things. They certify and support application development, storage, and cloud infrastructure for every conceivable enterprise deployment. They're in the New York Stock Exchange, DreamWorks, at each and every airline, healthcare company, and telecom giant in the Fortune Global 500. All of them rely on Red Hat. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 are Red Hat customers. And why is that? Because they get the powerful, constantly improving innovation of open source without the risk of having to do it alone. It's supported, and that's the key thing. Red Hat is enterprise software that's trusted in the world's most demanding data centers. And you can find out what they can do for yours by visiting redhat.com. And thanks to Red Hat for being our other sponsor this week. Uh since we're talking servers, maybe we should talk a little bit about security. Um, Susie, do you use do you use different passwords for every site you visit? Um, yeah, maybe a year ago, I got into one password kind of late, but uh, finally got into it, and I have kind of a pattern that I use. I have a passphrase, and then I change part of it for each site. So it's probably it's not like a totally. You know, I'm not having one password, like, come up with a gibberish password for everything, which is the best way to do it. (laughs) So I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I've got one password saving them, and I have kind of my pattern so I can, like, at least take a stab at it if I'm on my iPhone and I don't want to dig into one password, which I know you can do from the iPhone. But so I'm I'm getting there. But, yeah, this story is bananas. It's good. Well, yeah, this we're, our hook is that Ashley Madison, the site that connects people who may or may not be in committed legal relationships with other people who may or may not be in committed legal relationships for the purpose of uh, hanky-panky. Uh, so Ashley Madison was hacked. And there's a lot of um, smirking about it because, hey, oh, isn't that hilarious? That Whatever. And it's like, well, you know, consenting adults. I don't like people lying to each other. But anything that's between two individuals, I think, is their business. Uh, you know, this came up with the Gawker story last week that's kind of outside of our purview, but it's the same issue. Like, where does the limit of, uh, you know, people are, are itching, apparently, to see the dumps from the Ashley Madison crack, and they'll get to see all these different people and their email addresses and whatever, if it actually is released. And it's like, I just think it's a little a little smirky compared to, say, uh, you know, LinkedIn dump. There was some good academic research to be done about what people were doing and how exposed uh, that database was. But the, uh, the point that it brought up for me is the biggest risk with passwords is not that you don't pick a strong password. It's that you don't know how well 
any given site you go to protects their passwords. It was all you. just in open. It wasn't encrypted. Well, that's what I heard. I don't know if the full. Now, that's the question I have is I read in one place that there was one table that was dumped that the passwords were in the clear, but that may not be how they stored all the data because I don't think anyone's seen the complete uh, database output yet. <clears throat> so we'll see. But it would be ridiculous. I mean, that is absolutely unacceptable and po probably um, actionable because uh, they didn't, it's negligent <clears throat> by current standards. So one might, uh, people may be in a position to sue or, you know, you can, you can sue over anything, but there may be a basis for that. I'm not a lawyer. Disclosure. One article I saw had an email that their PR person had sent to uh, Robert Scoble like six oh, months ago I or something this. being like, <laughs> it's the last secure place on the internet. And they knew that like security was a big deal, especially for this clientele, for this particular application of you know software service yes. that for yeah come on like oh man but so that's the thing is that is is so there's the specific issue in this case that people are engaged in things that that most of them are doing something they don't want anyone to know about because that's the nature of the site it's designed to market they sell that way. discrete communication yeah. like that's their main product exactly there's okay cupid <laughs> now people who are involved in consensual stuff in which everyone's involved in it and open they can use okay cupid there's other sites about that so if okay cupid credentials were disclosed there's much less likelihood of people having that um, reaction i think i know married people are involved in that as well or people it could be embarrassing be, sure yeah, but you know but the fidelity issue is entirely based Ashley Medicine is entirely based on breaking fidelity. So there's the embarrassment factor. But from my perspective, the password issue is um, now that we've seen that no, that a lot of sites, I mean, LinkedIn was using, uh, I've talked about this in a bunch of private eye columns, they, passwords are supposed to be hashed, which is a one-way cryptographic algorithm that can only be reversed by, uh, or not even reversed, only be uh, uh, detected. You only find matches by using brute force. So you, uh, Cracker goes through, you know, billions and billions of passwords a second until they find a match. And uh, depending on, we talked about this with LastPass, because LastPass had a huge security breach in which their account information was acquired a few weeks ago. They used uh, a, an approach to encrypting passwords that imposes work. So it's very inexpensive computationally for each of us to log into LastPass because when you log in, it does a huge amount of calculation but only has to do it for you, right? But in the actual event, if you're a cracker trying to break those passwords, the LastPass passwords, it could take you on an expensive, fast machine. Uh, you can only break literally 10 to 30 passwords a second, or check them, I should say, not break them. So uh, unless everyone's password was password, you're not going to get passwords from LastPass. Even if you churn at it for a year, you're only going to crack a small percentage of them. And they used a technique that is highly recommended where the same word. So if your password is is um, one Mississippi and my password is one Mississippi, in LastPass's encrypted form, those appear differently because right. they use what's known, we've talked about this, a salt. It's a random bit of text added to the password and the salt can be absolutely public. The salt is unencrypted in plain text in the database. But your password, you type in your password, the salt is added to it and that's encrypted. So it can still be cracked. Someone can try every password plus the salt, but no two identical passwords in a database will have the same encrypted result. And LinkedIn was not doing that. And a lot of other sites don't. They're using either, you know, what's known as SHA-1 or SHA-2 ciphers where, again, if you match one, you match all. If you crack one password, every other one is matched. Um, and uh, so that, you know, that uh, weakens the technology even more. It weakens your ability to be secure. But so my thing is, and I, my private icon is about it this week, is that setting a unique password for every site means you're not worried about, even though the information for a given site might be breached, that password being cracked at that site for your account or being stored in the clear and revealed doesn't give anyone the ability to break into your accounts at other sites. And I think that's become the biggest weakness. Like someone logging into your Ashley Madison account, not yours personally, sorry, but <laughs> into one's <laughs> Ashley Madison account uh, or your LinkedIn account. Now, you, you could do some havoc with that, but the real issue is, ah, I have Glenn's Ashley Madison account. Now I can go to Glenn's credit union, Glenn's mm -hmm. bank and Chase, and I can do wire transfers and I can go to Gmail and I can go to iCloud and so forth unless I put two-factor on. So uh, for any site, they're using the same password and there's no two-factor authentication. You're exposed by any crack for any site that uses the same password. So that's my spiel. Is That's why I know people don't want to hassle with passwords. I think 1Password and LastPass and other software like that is actually 
easier to use than you know punching in your password or, or inventing new ones yourself. But uh, but I have every site I go to has a unique, complicated password. I think I was concerned. I think the reason I took so long to get in was not only my natural laziness, but also that I was concerned that it would be like ah. when you got a cell phone and you immediately forgot everybody's phone numbers, like that I would just not know any of my passwords. And if for some reason I ever like couldn't get into my last password vault, that I would just be locked out of everything because I never knew those passwords. They weren't really my passwords. They were just passwords for my accounts. So, but it's it's been fine. It's been great. Um, I haven't had one single hiccup, and I'm much happier, and I just feel like I'm a little more secure. It's, and then if one of them gets, if some service gets hacked, there's there's a way, it'll even show you, like if you have a bunch of passwords saved that were kind of your legacy ones that you didn't make as complex as you could have, it can show you like, oh, here's all your sites that are using this password and like help you change them more efficiently. So It's totally a reasonable worry. If you don't know your passwords, if you don't have them memorized, then you're concerned. But <clears throat> we're, we're in this really weird spot where it's like computers should be helping us do mm-hmm. things that are complicated. Why yeah. are computers not helping us with passwords? So there'll be a point at which I think a biometric device like an iPhone with a touch ID or a dongle like, um, you know, I've been proponent of the FIDO system because uh, this is the new thing that a lot of companies, including Google and a bunch of other big companies are backing. And Apple will probably, I think, I don't know if they have to support it so much as, I mean, it's compatible with Macs uh, with some software, but basically you'll have some kind of thing. It'll either be a phone you carry or a small doohickey. And um, I think that's just going to become routine. And so here's the funny thing is, this is what I wrote about in my column as well, is you don't need a strong password if access is strongly protected. You only need a strong password if, if access to the, your password is badly protected. So I'm not saying everyone should use the password password because that can be broken, but you don't need to have, um, you know, you don't need to have something that's absurdly complicated. You just need to have unique passwords at every location. When you add in a uh, second factor, so the FIDO system, they have this thing called uh, U2F, universal two-factor. And their proposal with that is that you can actually have a four-digit PIN or a six-digit PIN. You don't need a complicated password to get in because they're using public key cryptography with the second factor. So instead of texting you a code or something like Apple and a lot of, a lot of sites do, it'll actually be a public key exchange. You'll register with the site. You'll pu- publish your public key to them. They'll be able to know that you're you because you've given them the public key and can be verified. You'll be able to know that the site is legitimate when a login attempt happens because it's going to respond using information only you have. So it's actually like two-factor plus because you have this extra level of hardware and software protection on top. So you could your password could be your pin could be one two three four, because great someone gets that but they don't have your public key they don't have your device the public key is locked away in a hardware dongle that no one can actually get to if you tampered it breaks so um, so that's this whole other thing too where we may wind up with much simpler passwords when we get sophisticated functioning two factor systems that everyone can use then you could memorize your password could be you know thirty seven fifty four at you know one place and fifty seven thirty four somewhere else. Um, well, enough about security. So, hey, we wanted to talk briefly. Uh, I pitched you this crazy article about parking apps, and because you're a great editor, you said yes, right? This crazy article. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, now, I forget. Now, you don't drive. You don't have to drive into San Francisco that much, do you? You're usually on a, a commuting in. I don't a lot. Um, my husband does. His company pays for his parking. But, yeah, we, we drive a lot. When we lived in San Francisco, we had our own private garage. So that made us Ooh. real wimps about driving. Like, we would just drive everywhere because we knew we had a parking spot at home in our neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, I, I like driving in the city. It's fun. But <laughs> parking can be a pain. Yeah, and I uh, Seattle. Uh, what's funny is in interviewing these companies that make apps that help with pay. It's, it's sort of uh, – these are parking – Finding and facilitation apps, maybe. So you can pay through the app is, I think, one of the key aspects. Some of them that I did this overview of, uh, you can't pay. And I find them the least useful. They're good for discovery and getting information. But I like the ones where everything, the entire transaction is within the app. And so you're taking advantage. You don't have to have any cash. You could tip or do whatever you need to do. In some cases, it'll produce a code that you can scan or you give to somebody. Um, So you're 
you're completely using this smartphone app and it's it's benefiting you. But um, so in doing interviews for this article, I discovered Seattle is apparently one of the worst cities in the country for uh, downtown finding parking, hmm. which doesn't surprise me. We grew really fast and the downtown is very small. So parking did not expand uh, anywhere near as fast as the growth. And you have a lot of uh, people who are driving in from suburbs or parts of Seattle who get paid parking. So they put a garage in a building and it's 100% sold out with Preserve parking. Uh, so the, there's a lot of different categories. The one that I've tried, I think, and I, you got to try this. I, I can give you a code. I won't give it because I get credit, so I'm not going to give it out on the podcast because that would be illegitimate gain. I'm sorry. I've got, my eth- I've got ethics. I can give you. Uh, but you can look. <laughs> uh, listeners, you can find these codes. That's Go to why the co- my Dropbox is so big. <laughs> <laughs> I kept putting my referral <laughs> code out every time I wrote about Dropbox. Giant free like back referral in the day, code. everyone's got Dropbox now, but there that's was a right. time. Oh, my gosh. When it was expensive. Oh, man. And they I got gave like 30 you like, gigs or something. It's beautiful. Oh, that's hilarious. But, so yeah, I've got a bunch of credit from friends now. But a lot of these services, just ask them, if, listeners. You know, If you want to use those services like Zerks, Z-I-R-X, and Lux. Oh, L-U-X-E, the valet ones? The these valet are the ones I want to try. Yeah. So ask them. Write them and say, how to try you out. They're all venture funded. They'll give you some. They'll give you a trial. They'll give you fifteen or twenty bucks. Or ask somebody you know who's used it, and they can give you a code for the first time. Uh, and they'll often give you like a, a free thing. The valet ones are fun. So here's the deal. It's I call it inverse Uber because <laughs> you uh, and you I gotta got try the car. this. I try. Yeah, you got <laughs> the car. The dude. Right. That you go someplace. You're like in their service areas. And I tried this both in Seattle and San Francisco, and it was so delightful. In both, I tried both services in both places. It was so delightful. Which one so, have the pink? Lux has the blue. The, uh, is uh, Zerks, Zerks, are they the pink yellow. blazers? They're yellow. Oh. And there's other companies. San Francisco has, I think, now four or five yeah. overlapping companies. But Lux and Zerks are the only ones that are operating, I believe, in more than a couple cities. They're like they're both in like five or six and about to expand. They both raise a lot of money. So here's how it works. So like Uber, so when you, you use Uber, you tap on a map and say, I'm here. Uh, have someone come pick me up. With with these car valet services, you tap on a map and say, I'm driving here. Have someone come and meet me and take my car away. And they do. And so I was driving from people in the San Francisco Bay Area will appreciate this. I was down in Mountain View and I was driving to uh, to uh, San Francisco and it was Friday afternoon <laughs> at like oh. 4.30. And uh, so I pull out one of the apps. Poor and misguided I, Glenn. Yeah. So, well, I knew I had no choice. And I give myself, I knew it could take a couple hours. I wound up taking like over an hour and a half. And I tap on the app and I'm like, okay, I'm going to meet someone at a restaurant. I'm like, I'll just have them pick me up at the restaurant. I tap and it says, great. When you get closer, we'll match a valet with you. And sure enough, I got within, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. It's tracking. Their backend system is tracking traffic and progress in my GPS, which I've shared with them. When oh, I got you to worry about it they just no. know when you're going to get there yes ah. and it's their you know it's their problem and the valets i should point out that agents who are hired by these companies are getting paid a base rate and then they get paid additionally for each park park they do so if they have to wait they're not sitting there making no money they're making less money than doing the job but that's part of the algorithm on that end so i tapped and said all right and so i get within about 15 or 20 minutes of the spot you know and it's still backed up traffic and it says okay great here's the valet he's been dispatched here's a picture of him here's his name you can tap to text or call him and he'll meet you there at you know when you're expected to arrive which is whatever and then he comes as I rolling get, up on a razor scooter yeah right? so i get closer and i see the guy on a map i see my car on a map as we converge i pull up at the restaurant in like a five minute spot which is amazing it's in chinatown or japantown japantown oh okay yeah you Japantown, can pull that right? off in Japantown. yeah so in there chinatown was like a, that would be like yeah, so was, yeah, no, this is impossible. So Japantown, there's a spot in front, and uh, it says, okay, guy will be here in two minutes. Guy pulls up two minutes later on his scooter. I wave him down, hand him my keys. My car, I don't have to deal with my car anymore. It's gone. And they have, so they rent. And uh, he's just Ferris Bueller-ing it all around the city, that's right? right. Like, <laughs> this is a rental. I don't care. It's a new Relax, focus. Relax, sir. I'm a professional. The rental car company says, well, we don't have the Prius you reserve, but we'll give you a full tank of gas, and we're giving you a Focus, a Ford Focus with eight miles on it. I'm like, I don't want a new car. What if something happens to it? But Did you see how many miles he drove parking your car? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh, I should have checked. Holy cow. So here's the thing. Yeah, so you give them you give them your keys and they can give you a really cheap deal on parking, especially if you're parking somewhere expensive like downtown or I mean, I work a few blocks from the baseball stadium. So if there's a day game, like forget about it. All the lots around here are 50 bucks. Um, so Yeah, but they can drive the car off. They have lots that yes, they've got so deals with all over. Yes, they have deals with lots in less popular parts of town and they can zoom your car out there. They have, you know, just different, they have deals with different lots around and they call them up and say, okay, we have this many spots and we're going to need them for like this many hours. And 
they take care of all that on their end. So you don't have to worry about like where's the cheapest parking around here because they'll just take it to wherever the cheapest parking is. Yeah, that's like and the cheaper they or... can find a spot mm-hmm. for you, like the more money they make. So you don't have to think about it or worry about it. And it doesn't. It sounds like such a luxurious service, but it ends up actually saving you a few bucks well, as long as time, you're not utterly creeped out by the fact that you know some guy's driving your car. And, all, and you save all the time driving around, so you're saving the gas and hassle. Like, and this is the thing. And you can get them to drop your car off wherever uh, you want to be. So, like, I did a thing. I uh, was downtown, and I had him pick me up or pick up the car at one place, and then I was at another part of downtown. <clears throat> the next day, they'll do overnight parking, too. And I think, so the, the service is run about, it's about 12 to $20 a day in most cities. New York City is more expensive. If you if you want to be picked up and dropped off near the ballpark in San Francisco, for example, I think they're now doing a little bit of a pricing zone thing. So if it's a game day and you're in that area, they're going to charge you 25 bucks instead of 20 That's or Still a deal. <clears throat> it's still great because you don't have to you don't have to get into a lot. You don't even have to like drive up a 17-story circular parking structure. So not only not finding it and sometimes having to have cash to get out because the credit card machine's yeah. broken and keep the and little all ticket, that. remember oh where God. which level you're on, like take the elevator that smells weird. Oh like yeah, the urine-soaked elevator experience yeah. is not required for this. It's so, raising the experience in the same way that Uber raised the experience of getting around. Right. Right. town in like a taxi type vehicle. And I'll tell you from the employee side, I like these models better because they're paying this base fee to people. So people aren't showing up and getting nothing, even though they're contractors <clears throat> and they're moving. The organizations are trying to move people up. So they bring people to training and other positions. So they have salary positions at higher levels that aren't like firewalled off from the people on the street, like they do with drivers at Uber, uh, where it's kind of like the drivers, of this other thing. It's like, no, we're a software company. It's like, no, these companies are, are trying to cultivate people from within. But the other thing is the employees, they don't need any equipment. They need a shirt. That I yeah. think the company provides, I see right? Several <laughs> different companies, employees around here. So there's the Lux guys and the blue windbreakers that kind of mm-hmm. look like valets, and they're not, they're all on razor scooters. There's some I'm not sure which company this is, but there's one where the the it's all like attractive gentlemen, and they're all wearing um, <laughs> like black t-shirts and these hot oh. pink blazers. Oh, I haven't seen one. There's, there's I think that's a parking using, company. It might not even using, be a parking uh, company. Who knows? Skateboards too. I think one yeah. of using skateboards or uh, longboards because uh, I can stick them in the trunk of your car. And uh, so I, you know, I found sound like I'm advertising these firms, but it's like the reason is the arbitrage. So they're buying. So in some cases, like with uh, game day parking, they have overflow lots. They can in like church, like they're saying weekends and evenings they can use church parking lots, school parking lots. They mm-hmm. have deals for that. But they also buy like blocks of fifty or hundred spots in garages all over cities based on where there's demand. So they're locking in spaces at a fixed rate for themselves. Then they have overflow. So they're still making money every time they park your car, but it's the arbitrage, the fact that, you know, it might cost, like I was looking in the neighborhood I was at in San Francisco, I was over at the edge of the Tenderloin and uh, right in the edge of Japantown, where my hotel was. And uh, it would have cost between 30 and 50 bucks to park overnight. Well, I had my car picked up for me one afternoon and I got it the next morning in a totally different part of town and I paid I think a total of $25 for that entire privilege including the overnight parking. You so, know what this reminds me of? What's that? Uh, freaking Night Rider. <laughs> <laughs> when he could just talk to if, if they had an Apple Watch app and you could talk to your Apple Watch and say like Kit, Kit like I'm over here and then like the because the car would just come and pick him up oh my gosh and that's what you had your car just came to you right and there's people involved in this I don't want to minimize the fact people are involved but I feel like the right, people right. are better they don't have they don't Proud have to pay for a car yeah they don't have to pay a ca- pay for a car they don't have to pay for wear and tear in a car they're not paying for gas they're not sitting around making zero dollars while they're on duty so it's I think it's actually a much nicer example of the sharing economy. So here's the last thing I'll say about these valet ones is they're expanding services. So they can fill up your tank for you. They can wash the car. They can detail it, depending on the company. Oh, didn't you say that they're going to start driving you home soon if you had a a couple too many? They're testing in San Francisco Lux of the service called, called, I think it's a drive home or something like that. And it's, I think it's, what is it? $25 plus $3 a mile up to 50 miles from their service area in San Francisco. Cause they have to obviously get someone else to follow and pick up the person, but they drive you in your car home. So you go out in the night in the town in San Francisco and you have a safe drive home without having to find a cab to take you to the suburbs or wherever. They had a at. service like that in LA a few years back. I don't know if it was phone based, but it was, um, they, they <laughs> 
they it's like had, the drunk bus. <laughs> yeah, no, they had, and and their shtick was so it was for like you know industry people who go to these parties and you know everyone arrives in their own car, of course, but then you get hammered and you don't want to take your car home. So they would have, um, it was all like hot guys. That was part of their marketing. <laughs> oh my like, god! I think they were so wearing funny. tuxedos and they would come rolling up on um, like a little moped, but like a collapsible one that you could kind of- Oh my God, that's Yeah, you could kind of oh, fold it up a little a, bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like a scooter so they with would come motor almost, motoring right? up on this little yeah. scooter and then they would collapse it down and throw it in the trunk of your car oh and drive you back to like the Hollywood Hills or wherever you live. And so then they fun. would like take their scooter out and say like, okay, good day. So and, like, this is where I like, where the sharing economy works for me is when if you feel like the people, the employees involved are being treated fairly, which I, yes. think, I think they are in these cases from Everything I can tell, I did a little research. I feel like they're getting a, a good deal, and you're getting a luxury because the arbitrage lets them, lets the companies charge a price that's lower, and it's a better experience. It's a lower price, uh, and they're still making money because there's so much efficiency they're cutting through. So doesn't so this is where you get that perfect thing. Now I don't know if it'll last. I think the prices will stay low because what they're doing is they want it to be something that everyone uses all the time. And you know, mm-hmm. if you live downtown San Francisco or Seattle or other cities. You can pay these guys $300 a month for 24-hour – not 24-hour day, but during all their service hours, they will manage your car for you. Wow. So you don't need a parking spot. And think about what does it cost to have a parking spot in downtown San Francisco. Yeah. And I then mean, to have them you could rack up, up 300 bucks. Like, that's like a couple of tickets. Yeah. And you're right. And so they, yeah, so you don't have to worry about tickets. You don't have to worry about getting in and out of a weird space. And you're like, okay, come to my house. Then you drive off to a restaurant. They pick the car up to the restaurant. You get on public transportation. Like – it's a very interesting thing. I'll mention Night Rider. It is well, driverless cars will change this soon too. But the uh, the other thing is the other there are several other categories of parking apps, and uh, you know one of them are, are these like pay your meter by an app thing, which let you avoid tickets too because it'll warn you or let you extend your time. Um, the other is finding uh, I use Spot Hero, and there's also Parking Panda and a few other companies that let you find parking lots and do a reservation through the app and pay through the app, and then you go, show up and you either show your receipt and they clerk can check your number or there's a 2d code that the app displays that you scan to go in and out and uh i love that too because then you know it gives you this perfect knowledge like i need to park somewhere where's the cheapest place i can park or the one that gives me in and out privileges during the day because some lots will do that if you have the 2d code uh so you can use those apps to and you pay in advance so again you don't have to have piles of grubby cash to hand somebody and and deal with that it's and you get the receipt because it's all in the app so check out this parking apps feature because there's yeah, we'll lots link it up. of better ways. It was ways. very comprehensive. Uh, you had some housekeeping. Before we finish up this episode of the Macworld Podcast, you had some housekeeping. Susan. Just like a couple of little things here at the tail end. Um, one is that uh, please review the podcast even if you don't like it. Uh, if you like it, you should review it, definitely. Um, but if you don't like it, just tell us tell us why. And, Be funny. Uh, if you don't yeah, like it, if you don't they like actually it, really make terrorist. me laugh. People yeah. say that I say yeah too much, which I totally do. And at least be mean. If you're listening this far, right. at least be mean to us so that we can try laugh to at make it. me cry and <laughs> you'll end up making me laugh in the process, usually. Um, and then we'd it also, I, I want to give a big shout out. We have a new columnist on Macworld that I'm really excited about. It's Lisa, Lisa Schmeiser, sorry, Lisa Schmeiser, who a lot of you know and love from The Incomparable and other various places. She's doing a column for us called Generations. And it's going to be about the collision between technology and humans, the people you love. So that's whether you're deciding how much iPad time your kids should have, you know, technology and children kind of issues, or also, you know, the rest of your relatives, like maybe your parents or something, how to keep older relatives from getting fished, that kind of thing. Um, Sharing photos. There's so many tech topics that relate to families. So she's focusing on like the soft skills you need to navigate those worlds. I'm really, really excited about it. She's got some great topics coming up, and I've always loved Lisa's writing. So look for that on Monday. Really excited. It's called Generations. Lisa is uh, an incredibly funny and clever writer. I, I love consider her. her a friend, and she and on many podcasts with her, and um, and I can't wait. Um, she wrote a story for me at the magazine, the last issue of the magazine uh, last year about uh, Blackhand. Blackhand about her Loved daughters. It. Secret, her daughter's invisible friend who is real, who also he had uh, in pretend friends who are also invisible, who are not real. So uh, you can find that. That's actually readable. If you search for Black Hand and the magazine, you can find that story, which is hilarious. Good example of her of her humor. She's delightful. So yes. I'm excited about that. And then we've got a bunch of big reviews. We just posted a review of Word 2016. 
Um, Excel and PowerPoint are coming up. And as I mentioned before, I'm reviewing the Pebble Time and the iPad Touch, um, iPod Touch, sorry, and a new standing desk that is coming tomorrow that is worth more than my car. So <laughs> look for those soon in the next I had a car so. like that too. And then it broke. No, sorry. That's the old joke, right? Yeah. You know, the, uh, the joke is, uh, is how big is your ranch? Well, you know what? I can get in my car and I can drive as, uh, all day and I still don't reach the end of the ranch. The other person says, you know, I had a car like that too. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, Glenn is full of dad jokes. Uh, so that's it. That's, that's all it. I had. Yeah, that's it. That's some good. Well, some dad jokes. I think that was a good podcast. Yeah, it's a little bit of a. Uh, it's funny. That no, no major developments everyone. this week. It's summer. You know, this is the doldrums. This is the uh, we're in the Sargasso Sea of of news because major things don't typically get announced in summer. We got unless, an iPod. I know. Well, they hit it, right? They, it's like they, they released it at Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, too? No, but uh, they did not. But uh, uh, we'll have more because, um, you know, we've got the uh, – we've been working with the El Capitan, iOS 9 betas that we talked about last week, and we'll be getting uh, – Apple usually releases a few of those, so we'll probably see some changes there. We'll drill down some more. Uh, but, you know, the summer will be a little quiet. We'd love to hear from you. You know, if you're listening this far, you're obviously a dedicated listener. You can email us at <laughs> podcast at macworld.com or find us on Twitter. You can find Susie at SFSooz, S-F-S-O-O-Z, like Z. You can find me at Glennf, G-L-E-N-N-F, like Frank. But I don't know if you should follow me, but you can find me there because, boy, do I tweet a lot. Um, he but tweets tell a us, lot, you guys. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's a, uh, just happens. It's okay. Just happens. I like it. Uh, but uh, you can find us all there. And um, uh, let us know what you want to hear about, especially in the summer while while it's a little bit quieter. We're going to keep coming up with things, uh, but we'd love to hear about more about you, more from you. So uh, thanks again for listening, folks. Susie, great to talk to you again. Yes, you too, as always. And this has been Thank You, and this has been episode 466 of the Macworld podcast for July 22nd, 2015. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Zoom and Red Hat. We'll be back with all the news that fits next week. Thanks very much, folks. 